0: As a general um, existence as a teacher, um, I would say the heart of almost every teacher is in the right place. And it is often a, uh, through circumstance and it is through trying to achieve the best, but maybe having the concept of best tainted by external influences
1: Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape, or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them, or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button, and enjoy the listen. Hi everybody, welcome to Coffee and Geography, and uh, I have someone in front of me uh, virtually that I have, I admit, and I, I'm actually saying it's him for the very first time, I've been trying to get hold of for a while, because we've collaborated a fair bit uh, through the digital ether, but I've not actually sat down and have a one-to-one, and we were at risk of talking for, I reckon, hours before we even started recording, to be honest, Daryl, but Daryl Sinclair, it is so lovely to get you on your own for once, <laughs> how are Thank you Thank you so much, um, I'm doing very well, Kit. Um yeah
0: I, we were we were chatting a little bit before but um i've had a had a a long monday i've got a, yes. a packed out monday um but made it made it through the day two two lunch duties one for middle school one for upper school, and a whole bunch of lessons ending the day at four o'clock after a couple of hours with grade eleven um it's but I'm very very happy to be here and I'm enjoying this yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to be here.
1: <laughs> uh, and this, we will this will be a nice wind down in the evening because you are an hour ahead of where yes. I am in the United Kingdom, because you're on Central European time. And you just said eleventh grade. So hang on a minute. People are saying, "There's the I've got we got this teacher on on here who's got a British accent, but you just said eleventh grade, and they're announced." <laughs> so God, what, what what's going on there? Tell people.
0: Okay, so I've been, um, uh, for how long now? I think it's the last, it's got to be five or six years now, I've been teaching at international schools. Um, I've had a little bit of an interesting journey. So I went through went through China. I was in China for two years in a city called Chongqing, um, which was a wonderful experience. I came back to the UK. Um, and while I was in the UK, what happened? I was at an, a French international school. Uh, bearing in mind, I don't speak French, so I wasn't <laughs> teaching in French. And then, after two years there, um, I decided to go for another opportunity, and I found myself at a school in Germany, uh, which I was drawn to very much because of the. They're, they're a school with a, in my opinion, a bit of a difference. They're a little bit against the grain of what I'm I'm used to, and they've they're they're truly student centered, and I've I've loved that. And now here I am. In Germany, one hour ahead, um, <laughs> waiting for February where the lake, 15-minute walk away from where I'm living, is going to freeze over, and we're going to go ice skating. Oh. Um, yeah, having a bit of a another international adventure. And yeah, to answer the whole grade, grade thing. Um, so, weirdly, in most international schools I've worked at, uh, well, out of three, uh, <laughs> two of them use the American system for their grades. So what I call grade eleven would probably be the equivalent of um year ten in the UK. Um actually no sorry let me get year that Year right.
1: twelve would it be year twelve? Yeah year twelve sorry
0: yeah. yeah I went the wrong way. <laughs> uh, but sometimes. yeah grade <laughs> grade eleven would be the equivalent of year twelve. So it's the the first year of the IB is what we, oh, okay. we do at yep. school. Or the key stage five equivalent. Um, so yeah my numbers are off by one. Uh, but and actually my oldest student at the moment in what i would call grade 12 um is 21 years old i believe oh uh, very interesting age system in germany very interesting and similar to the u.s system you can repeat a year and sorry how should i phrase it you can fail in inverted fail. Commas, <laughs> a, a year and repeat which is a very interesting system and you know seeing it in action it's kind of changed my opinion on it a little bit but yeah it's it's interesting. So yeah, I'm on an international adventure, um, taking taking a slightly uh, uh, how to say edited British accent with me, uh, tailoring it to the needs of uh, various international audiences. So hopefully everyone can understand me.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think I think we'll come back to that because we had a lovely chat about that beforehand, and I can identify yep. with that too. So uh, the, you describe yourself as a young uh, conversationalist, conversation, yep, and a fan of each one teach one idea. Focused on the world today, driven to do well against your own metrics and things which makes uh, your heart warm. Are oh, rather than hope for the future, Daryl actively tries to support people in creating their own future, wary of the challenges which are along the way. Uh, Daryl hates generalizing for the sake of hierarchical labels and or marginalizing a person safe in the knowledge that Daryl knows nothing and being more than anyone else may think of him. Oh, that's a nice little yeah. bio of yourself there. So, um, <laughs> thanks. well, it's, you, you get very, the bios that I've read out, you know, some of them are very matter of fact, some of them are very jokey, very jiby, self-deprecating, but that one's just, that one, I don't know, you put heart warm, that one did feel warm. Mm. That one did oh, feel nice. warm. Yeah. And um, are you, it sounds like you're very, I don't know, is it is it accurate to describe yourself as altruistic, maybe? Like you come across altruistic Ooh. in
0: that bio, or bio. That's quite interesting. I wouldn't have ever thought of that word to describe myself. Um, I think there's elements of it which apply, but I think how I would like to come across or how I believe that I am trying to live my life is in a way, which is confidently humble. Um, and in being confidently humble, so trying to engage positively with my own ego is to hopefully allow space for other people's ego and existence. Um, So if that in any way falls into some type of altruism, um, Mm. because uh, so, I mean, this is a little bit of a segue, but it's it's popped into my mind. I forgot I wrote that first bit. Um, (laughs) Each one teach one is actually something I learned when I was quite young. Um, I think I just started university and it's a, I'll call it a philosophy from breakdancing. So I started breakdancing when I was at university and the ogs and the the you know i've been very lucky to have met some of the yeah some of the ogs some of the the you know um these names may mean nothing to the majority of people but it's a guy called crazy legs and he's the guy who invented the windmill and or the continuous backspin as it was called and there's a whole history to break dancing but it's a it's a very young history you know it's not like it's been around for a hundred years um although it's legacy it's um its roots and its foundations may go back a hundred years, but there is a philosophy in it called each one teach one because within breakdancing as a, what would today be labeled or has for a long time been labeled like a street or urban or whatever code word you want to use for black, um, Latina, Latinx, whatever is the most appropriate phrase for, for those groups of people. Um, you didn't have a formal teacher. You didn't have a dance school. You didn't have this that, and the other. So the idea was that if you wanted to be part of the community, you had to teach someone each thing you bring to it as a creative art, understanding that there is no one way to dance. Everyone can dance in a different way and they can be equally musical, equally. The, the word we would use is equally dope. Um, <laughs> but they are dancing in completely different ways and it's respecting that and understanding that what you have, you may be able to teach to others. And although it's not explicitly said, it doesn't fit in a catchy four word thing, but the idea that you'll be willing to learn from each other as well. And it's called each one, teach one. If you're going to be part of the community, you should be willing and uh, able's the wrong word, but yeah, let's say willing to share your knowledge. Um, and that's a strong foundation for me. Uh, that experience of going through that world Um, quite deeply I would say I'm not claiming to be uh, you know an OG b-boy or anything but I had a good 10 years where I was I was competing I was traveling internationally to dance and go to events and perform at events and met a lot of really cool people and that was one of the things which I really loved about it so as I I was you know there's a massive overlap with the time I've been teaching mm-hmm. and it's just the idea of listening to people, um, giving space for people to exist, not judging something which is different, seeing the value in it, seeing the commonalities, but whenever, as someone who has taught dance, you you come across people with very different styles, which may be completely different to yours and as a teacher um, or just as a human being, it's not your place to to oppress them, it's not your place to crush them down and be like, you should be doing it like this, or that's not how I do it, therefore it's wrong. It's a case of building them up and recognizing that actually, that's a really, that's a really dope way of doing it. That's a really cool way of doing it. You know, maybe in an educational context, that's an appropriate approach to that problem. Let me learn this. Let me. And taking that on board as a teacher, taking that on board as a as a human being, as, as someone who shares space with other people, um, I think it's incredibly important. Um, mm. and yeah, I think I've gone a little bit off topic there, but I no. yeah, yeah. We uh, can I bring think it full circle to what you were saying about <laughs>
1: yeah. really taking the opportunity that you really wanted to teach at this student centered school that you're at. I mean surely oh, yeah. surely those two things must be quite compatible yeah yeah
0: that's that's definitely true um you know the I don't know how long it's been now um be interested to see the interesting to see the first time I'd say the first time I did it was probably in my first school um it was a school in west london um and it had a predominantly Muslim population now obviously Muslim isn't an identity a Muslim person could be from anywhere, any age gender identity whatever so i don't want to use that as like oh they were muslims like that's a Mm -hmm. thing but what i would say is that the predominant religious belief was islam at the school and I knew nothing of Islam when I, when I first started working at the school. I I didn't know nothing, but at the same time, I was no expert. And as we were learning things in geography, as we were learning about various parts of the world, a lot of my students coming from Bangladesh, where within geography there's major case studies in Bangladesh, uh, students from India, there were students from Pakistan, and the whole plethora of, of countries in that general region. So as I was approaching these lessons, being corrected and thankfully, being humble enough to receive the correction and take the time to say, so what is it actually like there? Um, what is, you know, within this context, uh, there, there, was, there, there's a few like running jokes within the school, even within the student body themselves. Um, stereotypes of, of Bangladeshis, stereotypes of Pakistanis, parents stereotypes of as there are with many different groups of 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 people who are generalized by an ethnicity or whatever it may be and the students really fought against that and they they introduced to me um complexity to the teaching which i would not have been able to bring in there myself and it kind of taught me as like my students are often more of an expert than me um and that's that's very empowering um it, it might not sound it but it actually takes a hell of a lot of pressure off you as a teacher, because if right. your students trust you that they can speak, then uh, if I take the most brutal and lazy way of approaching it, <laughs> I don't need to plan as much. I don't need <laughs> to find a, hun- a hundred resources. I've got thirty-two resources in the room, you know. Um, right. But taking it from a more you know productive and and uh, right. positive way, um, it was just a case of also noticing the response from the students noticing how they enter the classroom how they leave the classroom uh, how they engage differently um once they begin being the teacher or recognized as someone in the classroom who on an equal level to the teacher is contributing to what is being learned the creation of of knowledge in the classroom and that is so 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 powerful um, mm. in my opinion um and it's so it can be humbling in the most positive way and it can be so empowering to the student um so yeah and yeah i think people take things on board from that and they they like it and yeah so yeah it does go
1: full circle i i totally agree with you i my best the best thing i ever did when i was teaching was i decided to well we were a very small school and I was a small department there was there was me and the other main geography teacher was also the deputy head so I had other responsibilities so actually quite often department uh meetings would re- would be me myself and I <laughs> usually <laughs> um going over you know department matters and whatnot but um, so I thought I'm going to take advantage of this and not squander this time I, like, I actually want some student perspective and a bit of company, I admit, and a bit of company. So I, I invited um, a group of students to, in year 10 and 11, to actually come and have their say at the department meetings. And mm-hmm. actually that grew into, that's what started as a little bit of input, actually grew into us formulating what was called the, the geography leadership team, where it was myself, any member of staff in the geography department, and at least four um, upper school students and they and they and they had equal weighting with everything so it was one vote one person so we if we wanted to vote on something like where to go on a field trip or whether we should do a control assessment in this manner or or whether whether we should you know whatever it was as long as it was a non-confidential item Mm -hmm. they would have equal weighting with it and which was brilliant and quite often me and my colleagues got got outvoted um, so and that was the best and so we became a student-led department which was absolutely fantastic and the second thing I remember doing was was letting yeah letting kids take over lessons and things because mm. there was one I, I went and visited Malawi in 2013 and what an amazing experience it was and so I brought that enriched knowledge and understanding back with me and I had uh, good friends in Malawi now who helped me develop resources and stuff like that and then coming in through the school and then up to year nine when I taught that unit we had um a young young lad who was half Malawian who's very very deeply um proud and ingrained in his culture from Malawi because his dad was Malawian from a long way mm-hmm. and uh and I just said I said I would be absolutely honored if you would like to do give a presentation to your class about what it means to be Malawi, you know Malawian, what you know dispel some stereotypes you know things you're proud of your experience and it was just something it was I always say Daryl is the best lesson I ever taught <laughs> it was amazing it, yeah and, and the kids were so empowered and then it just became habit then every opportunity I gave I just let the kids take over and one kid got taken out of school because his family is half Italian so he went he, he went uh, got taken out of school partly over half term partly over the school term went um, to Italy came back and I said, okay, I'll let you do one to keep a diary. That's what I said. Keep a diary of Mm yourself. And he came back and he, he, he'd done this whole presentation about his trip. And he talked about Mount Etna and all this kind of stuff. And I just said, he said, he said, mix frankly. How, how long have I got? I said, you, you can have, you can have as much of this lesson (laughs) as you like. And 45 minutes. And the kids just listened to him talk about his trip in Italy and, and his background in Italy. Oh, Best, best lessons ever. Those two, so that's my experience. I,
0: I, no, no, I, I love that, and I've, I would say it's a common, um, common thing I hear, and maybe it's a little bit of a cliche, but um, you know, the, the the idea that as teachers, we we often say in staff meetings and things that you know the best lessons are the ones you plan the least, uh, the best lessons are the one where you talk the least, and so on and so forth. Hmm. And of course, that's not a hard rule, um, but there is there is much to be said about that. Um, and I do think the more flexibility you have, um, combined with an openness to other voices in the room, yeah, it it does often. What flows organically often flows better than that which is planned, although right. it might not hit the specific targets you were you pre planned when you did your massive twelve week long scheme of work and blah blah, <laughs> blah 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 blah. It will be hitting massively important things for the students and arguably for yourself. Um so I am looking forward to a uh, how to say an improvement, um, the continued progression of uh curriculums and expectations for students, the incorporation of things such as um I, I saw this on on I saw this on Twitter, which has caused me to have this person's name in my mouth, but they they were someone who were my who was my um, dissertation shooter on my MA oh. but Douglas Bourne Douglas Bourne um, has written a lot about I say he basically coined the phrase uh, 21st century skills um, and the shift that he is very um pro he he's very uh wants to encourage the movement and he identifies the movement of education towards skills rather than dare i say terminal abilities i know that it probably sounds very similar but you know a skill being how you interact with data how mm. you criticize and analyze the source whereas a terminal skill might be how to structure an essay it's much more you can do it or you can't Whereas critically engaging with data is something that will take new shape every time you interact with a new piece of data. Um, ways of, of collaborating, ways of working with people. And these are the things which take new new shape, new form every time you apply it. And when we do these more organic lessons, when we encourage and empower the student we give them opportunity to apply those skills almost passively you know Mm. we don't need to set a learning objective all of you will do this some of you will do this you know whatever we can actually just learn through experience um, in a sense it's a it's a it's a somewhat controlled experience the teacher is there as a guide you you do your best to reap the best from every opportunity Mm. but the trust that you put into your students the opportunity you give them will pay back manifold because the students will understand oh my goodness my my voice is actually heard here um (laughs) let me pay attention because i might be able to say something else yes Um, oh let me listen there because if he makes a mistake i can correct him or oh he's talking about my country and he'll actually listen if i tell him something you know that that is um I'm hoping those are some of the thoughts passively going through my students' heads, um, you know? Uh, and I think that's, 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 that's great. Um, but I mean, without being all rainbows and, and butterflies, um, and I love uh, talking about the potential of of learning. The fact is, and I also don't want to dwell on the negative too much, but the fact is it's just not being done broadly enough at the moment. You know, we know many fantastic teachers And without discrediting the hard work of any individual teacher, this is by no means an attack or personal attack or anything, but there are many teachers who, for whatever reasons and circumstance, it can be lack of support from leadership. It can be um, stringent, rigid requirements to stick to these outdated curriculums Mm. and requirements and exam boards. It can be a sheer lack of confidence or, too dominant an ego so i have worked in a school and i'm going to say this very vaguely and anyone who knows me who's listening <laughs> will know immediately where i'm talking about but i'm not going to say anything about the school um but i have worked at a school which has what i would consider an almost toxic uh, no i wouldn't almost consider it. i would say a toxic consideration of student and teacher with such a foundational from the the ground upwards, all the way to the leadership that, you know, the very head of the school that the teacher is above the student Mm. that I believe it ruins about half of the teaching that takes place. Now that's not to say these, these kids don't get amazing exam results. They're fantastic kids. But then again, I've never met a kid in my life who I don't think is fantastic. So maybe I'm not the best person to be saying that statement, but the kids are fantastic. They, they, They do wonderfully, but where does it build them up? Where does it build them as people, as citizens, as people who outside of the remit of a dominant authoritative figure who's telling them what to do, how will they succeed? Are we not just churning them up ready for them to go into a workplace where they will be subservient to another leader? Or are we trying to create young people who will be able to be that leader and not only be that leader, but that inclusive leader, that leader that we as adults who have gone through oppression and challenges, the leader that we want, that's, that's what I want to do in the classroom. I want to create that leader that I wanted. I want to create that leader who would, who would, who would have made my life more easy, mm. uh, easy in terms of less challenge, less struggle based on who I am and who I was. I want to contribute to the, 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 the ability of people to be that person. Mm. Uh, not that they need to be exactly who I say they are. I this isn't a deterministic thing, but in the sense of growing people with open minds who who can be that person if they so choose. Um, yeah.
1: I, yeah. <laughs> I I've, I've I've just been sitting here, kind of actually got quite introspective as you were talking because I, I spoke to you quite quite candidly before we start recording about you know some of the reasons why I left the teaching profession you know mental health and Mm -hmm. and pressures and stuff like that but the other reason why uh I don't make as 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 well known or as as um uh, as the other reasons is I felt I was contributing to the system you just described um Mm -hmm. I was so determined to get with for good intentions the purest Uh intentions because you you love the kids to bits but i was just another cog in that wheel to try and churn them out and get the best result for them possible because i Mm. thought it was the best for them Mm. and then there was a couple of moments and i think this is probably going to be the first time um i think i might have said this publicly once before but i think it's worth repeating this story was um i just did the analyzing year 10 sorry year 11 mock exam results and i thought i'd had this brilliant idea to to help the kids support each other because that's what i wanted to i want the kids to support i want us to be a team so -hmm. what were the best intentions and what i did and i'm a date, i'm I'm a data geek so what i did is i i i had this spreadsheet and i didn't have the scores in them but i just ragged them which is red amber green Mm color-coded according to topics um exam topics that they didn't do quite well in that they did all right in and they did very well in and i just did them red amber green and i had this brilliant idea i said oh and we can get scary. If you've got a red, you can find someone with a green, and you can like coach each other, and you'll find that the other person can coach on some different topic. Yeah. And you know it all sounded great, but it came crashing down because a couple of weeks later, I got called into the head teacher's office, and there was a, a year, my, one of my Year Eleven students and her mum, and looking deeply upset, and they explained to me that what I did there was made her child exceptionally vulnerable because I had, I had exposed her weaknesses to the rest Mm -hmm. of the class, which was a symptom of being under pressure so much to do the best Mm -hmm. you can at school. So all of this was feeding into each other. And then I stood there, I'm not sorry. I stood there and um, thought about this. And as I was listening to this, and after about 10 seconds of just complete silence of the room, I broke down crying in front of the teacher, mm-hmm. in front of my head teacher, in front of the parent, in front of the student. And then the student started crying. Then the head teacher started crying. And then the mother started crying. Um, you know, That's and then, boring. and it had, it had, um, you could tell because I can remember, <laughs> um, but it had a bit of a healing impact on, on me mm-hmm. in particular, because that after we dried our eyes, the, the, the parents said, look, Miss Rackley, we, my, my daughter, and well, she could tell you herself and said, I mm-hmm. really like you as a teacher. You're one of my favorite, mm-hmm. you know, I really want, and I just, but I just felt crushed by what you did, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I, it was a respect out of you and a respect out of the school that we wanted to tell you, we didn't want to keep this to ourselves because mm-hmm you know because we know what you're trying to do um and now having thought about it and having listened to what you've just said that was probably one of the major triggering points which started to get me considering if my career that i was in Mm -hmm. i was i was may have been the wrong you know that and all the pressures and everything else on top of it i Mm -hmm. thought maybe i need a break um yeah i
0: mean thank you thank you for sharing that um
1: that was thank you for their insight because yeah. that's really helped me to kind of figure that out really and um but I I, I 100% agree with you Dale with with the whole the whole thing and you're right we there are there are lots of teachers listening to this right now who are squirming a little bit about what we're talking about but probably also kind of inside nodding with agreement and um and we and we know some amazing teachers out there who love their children to bits they love their kids to bits yeah and i mean just to, to touch in on on what you've just shared it's um i hope
0: i hope that not at all that anything i've said has come across in this way but just to you know ensure just for anyone who may have been touched by what i've said in perhaps a negative way or anything that this may have brought up for people. Um, Just to reiterate, there is no teacher at blame for any of this. I mean, uh, I don't like to use words like, you know, all and complete, uh, you know, there are some bad teachers, you know, let's be real about it. But um, as a general um, existence, as a teacher, um, I would say the heart of almost every teacher is in the right place. And it is often uh, through circumstance and it is through trying to achieve the best, but maybe having the concept of best tainted by external influences um, because i I really think, and'm I'm, I'm being incredibly romantic here when I'm saying this, and I, I acknowledge that and I wouldn't say that this is my target for the world. But if we were to remove all examination and we were to remove um, all the these the rigid standards, I really wonder what classrooms would look like. And I think Mm -hmm. they'd look a lot closer to what we would want them to look like. I think they would become much more interpersonal spaces. Um, A lot of the ego of teachers um, and a lot of the actions that teachers take, which sometimes through no intention of the teacher put their students in a vulnerable position are a result or a response to external requirements. Um, Not to demonize them because it's too easy to do, but, you know, whether it's Ofsted, whether it's edXL, whether it's whatever exam board or organization, whether it's the senior leadership team. And it's through doing that that we actually find ourselves in these awkward situations where we're trying to balance our morals and our desires with regards to the positive things we want to provide to our students alongside needing to push all of the different shapes through this square shaped hole in the wall, which they have to get through. Um, and this causes us to sometimes push so hard that the natural shape of the student is torn, mm. is is injured in us doing that. Um, and hopefully we can move towards styles of, of teaching to pedagogies and, and exam boards or lack thereof which enable us to have instead of a square shaped hole maybe there is just a a a space big enough for everyone of any shape of any disposition to fit through um and that would be the the romantic goal um and i think where we are working towards that Um, and i want to really champion the idea um and the bravery of what you've done in um recognizing what you you want to do where you feel you're having impact you've done some incredible reflection and i think reflection is also one of the foundational things that we need to be doing as teachers um it can really sting and i can only imagine some of the things that may have gone through your mind when making the decision to step away from teaching Uh, we can be very, we can be incredibly harsh on ourselves, especially as teachers where many of our desires professionally are wrapped up with our personality and they're wrapped up with our concept of the impact we want to have on the world. So Mm. to step back from that can invoke thoughts of um, hopefully not, not to, to trigger anything, but to, to reflect on this further, but ideas of failing and I can wholeheartedly say to anyone who's listening that there is no failure in making an active and reflective decision on what may be best for you at any given time in your life. As long as the, the choices you're making do not intentionally or actively injure others, you can have 100% confidence obviously, if you've made the decision that I'm going to leave the school by uh, throwing three kids out the window and burning it down on the way <laughs> out, then I might say,
1: mm, you might want to, might want to <laughs> think about that. Decision. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, But, you know, we need to look after ourselves as teachers. And in looking after ourselves, we actually look after our students better. Yeah. And the impact of some of the things you do like this, for example, um, you know, who knows what our reach is, um, who knows the impact we have and the the little things which happen. So, yeah i think there's there's so much to be gained so i think it's awesome that you've um, yeah thank you Darren. thank you that's yeah
1: that's been yeah. awesome I've, I've you're right you say failure you know and and the, the the class that i left in the middle of year 10 um were also my form well i had a year 10 form and i had taught a lot of them for gcc geography as well so i felt like mm. i was letting them down leaving halfway through the GCSC. Mm. and it was the new reformed gc nine to one gccs as well so not only it was unknown territory and I was leaving them right in the middle of it. And, and my form as well, I wasn't taking them into year 11 and you know, I, you're right. I felt all these things, but, but, um, you know, someone else came in a little bit fresher than me, a little with brighter ideas and they were okay in the end, you know, they were, they were yes, okay. Yeah. And I've and got on to do other things yeah there's
0: always something to make us justify not leaving yes um, yeah this is true so you know we can never look at it that way and i wouldn't even necessarily use the language that someone came in who was fresher or whatever um they were different to you yeah they certainly there's, were different there's to there's, me. <laughs> there's, there's no uh, meaningful nature to you know better or worse or whatever um and what, one thing I really like to say to, to new teachers or when I've, when I've uh, worked with a, or mentored a, an NQT and things like that um, is generally, within reason, I, I, I'm not a fan of generalizations, but I think this reads true for, and I think most teachers would, would resonate with this, the kids will do as well as they are going to do. And what I mean by that is as a teacher, we are not; they're not our results, they're the students' results. And generally, if you are teaching a student and they get, an, uh oh, I've forgotten how it works now, uh, I'm going to go with the IB scale. It goes from uh, uh, seven is the highest, one is the lowest, and I'm just going to use that. Um, but if you say that, a student graduates with a level seven, they get the absolute top marks they possibly can. The truth of the matter is it's incredibly likely that even if you had not been there for a single lesson, that's the kind of student who would have taken it upon themselves to at least secure a level five, if not a level six. If you have a student who fails under your tutelage, it's very likely that if you weren't there at all, it's quite likely they would have got the same, a Mm. similar result and understanding that as a teacher we are there as as a catalyst we're there as um something which inspires and and something which sometimes our our input isn't needed sometimes our input isn't helpful especially at the highest levels and it, and when i say the highest levels i just mean the students who are particularly self-driven whatever that may look like as results but our students will do as well as they will do but we're there to make that journey easier for them we're there to help them learn confidence in how they're learning confidence in what they are attaining and ensure that when they're doing that journey it is as easy for them as possible now i'm not going into the whole uh, teacher as a guide thing i think that's overly romanticized and i think some people have gone too far down that route and there's research to show that complete hands-off teaching is actually less effective but what we are there for is to support we are there to teach as well we will sometimes be the source of some information the source of some explanation but ultimately we cannot allow the results of our students to either provide us value to our lives or to be a burden on our shoulders and by not allowing it to be either we can interact honestly with our students and we can interact with our whole heart Without putting ourselves at risk, we can then leave schools, join schools, support students in a way which protects both ourselves and the student, because it's a very thin line between thinking to yourself, I'm responsible for their results, and taking credit for actually the hard work of a student, and subsequently thinking, these kids are doing bad because they don't listen to me, therefore they have to listen to me more, and you end up shutting down other voices in your classroom, which as we've discussed, we need as many voices as possible in any construction of knowledge at any level if we want to move away from generalizations, stereotypes, from people being minimized, stepped on, oppressed, and being less able to interact as the people that they are, that they want to be, that they identify as, as they get older. And I don't think any teacher wants to have that negative no. impact. So we've got to empower, but we also don't need to shoulder that the stone. Um we walk alongside our students. We don't carry them. We don't drag them, and they definitely don't drag us. Let's walk alongside them. It's a much easier journey.
1: Like it, yeah. And I like that image of the atlas. It's very, very geography. Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out let's let's step on let's step on that you've we, we didn't manage to talk about at the very beginning which is what we usually do at the beginning of this podcast is you just took a sip of your uh of your brew <laughs> i haven't asked you what you're drinking
0: yet oh <laughs> uh, well i'm i'll be honest um i've been worrying that the the clattering and swallowing and so i'm drinking Funnily enough, something that I could only find so far in the UK, um, it's, I've forgotten the name of the brand. I think it's Pucker. Um, and they do a a, a one called Cleanse. Mm. Um, it's like a, it's mint, fennel, and I feel like there's one other thing in there, but it's definitely mint and fennel. And it's just a nice kind of, I like to drink it after dinner and it just kind of flushes through you. you know, no sugar, no caffeine. Yeah, a bit of a palate cleanser. Um and I've, 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 I drink these, this most evenings. Um, I must admit when I was thinking, when I was making this and I was like, oh yeah, (laughs) thinking about this podcast, I was thinking to myself, um, I had a look at the packet and the only locations I could find on it seemed to be, although it didn't explicitly in my opinion, or at least not explicitly enough say where the leaves came from, it seems to be a product of Australia and New Zealand, Hmm. which was slightly unexpected to me. Um, but,
1: well, I, I I'm no
0: expert in where various oh, well, um,
1: listeners and, you know why yeah. I'm doing this is for you to go and investigate <laughs> you know we don't we don't name drop for promotion we name drop for you to go and investigate <laughs> um brilliant yeah um so okay it's, let, let's let's go back and think about the there were some bits you mentioned a little bit earlier with regards to your moving around working in national schools you talked about your voice we had this fantastic chat before we recorded mm-hmm. about about the voice. Um, something which so and I, let's let's just say what you said before and then you can elaborate so you said about having to you've you've changed your voice so people can hear you more clearly and there was other reasons why that is like i'm from Harlem and essex and i've got cockney dad so um you know i and when i do talk to my parents i do go a bit you know a bit more like this so I, I i do it, you know you know so, so i i can slip back into that old kind of cockney essex hybrid and um and if I do that when I was teaching, my kids wouldn't understand me because I taught oh. in a school in Norwich and they were a bit different. <laughs> so, so I, I do sp- I do speak a bit different now in order for people to to do that. And also the other thing with my voice as well is I'm still considering whether I'm going to be doing voice therapy or voice coaching in order mm-hmm. to bring my pitch up because you know my voice is not does not matter well in the stereotype in the generalization and the my voice yep. does not match my gender so um so i can't so when you were talking a bit earlier about what you were saying uh i can i can kind of relate to it in that respect but yeah i mean so your voice then this is what we're hearing everybody it's <laughs> it, it is a lovely podcast voice but i was gonna say the same to you <laughs> it's refined isn't uh, you said well so. yeah i mean okay so i'm gonna
0: i'm gonna take a slightly different uh approach to to this this time around and um so one of the things that i think we we mentioned but perhaps didn't spend too much time on is the idea of code switching so uh the idea of a code being a way in which that you present yourself to a group of people so similar to how if we were going to a pub compared to going to a fine dining restaurant, there would be an element of code switching. The way we carry ourselves, the way we would dress, the way we would speak would likely change. Now, from a, I'll I'll loosely say an ethnic perspective, from a consideration of personal identity, so whether that be to do with gender, whether that be to do with race, culture, religion, um, there can be many, many, in my opinion, more layers to it so for myself I grew up in South London i grew up in an area called Thornton Heath and I can barely remember the accent i had at that point growing up i can remember some of the slang I would use um i think i spoke a lot faster at that time but when I was growing up i have this really distinct memory of my dad on the phone um so i i think i was i was in the 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 at, on the, at the kitchen table i was i was I think I was eating and he was like in the hallway on the phone. So, you know, back when phones had cables um, into the (laughs) wall and he was talking to a friend and he was speaking in what I considered to be his normal voice. And in quick succession, this might've been over an hour. It might've been over 20 minutes. I can't remember it that precisely, but I remember him finishing that phone call and starting another one, which I believe was with one of my uncles in Jamaica, Uh, Jamaica being where both my parents are from. And completely different accent, like, like, you know, full what I would consider to be. Um, and I, I, the reason I say that so distinctly is because I think it's very different to what we would consider the s- television Jamaican accent. right? Okay. Um, but what I consider a very rich, slightly different intonation, different tone accent. And Tim talking to what I believe to be my uncle. And then again, later on that evening, making another phone call to what I believe was a work colleague and it changing again. And I remember when he finished his calls, I was like, dad, why do you speak so differently on the phone? And he said to me, he may not have said it as uh, poetically as this, but, you know, he said, I speak to be understood. And he said, so depending on who I'm speaking to, I speak in a way which best conveys a message which they will understand and will allow me to form the closest relationship with them I can. You know, he spoke to me about the idea of your use of your voice and how you communicate is to do with being understood. And there, depending on how you speak, some people will not understand you. Now, we know as adults that not understanding you can be a very active and intentional thing. Yeah. So considering the normalized concept of what a male voice is and a female voice is, that is often people impressing upon you what they expect from you and this informs the code that we use when we engage with those people so as I was growing up I ended up in I ended up at a grammar school where I was the only black student not only in my year group but I think there was like at least a year barrier um, a buffering between me on either side um, and I think all the way to the top I was one you know but there were very few black students. And this was a grammar school. So I began to change my accent as I went to this school, partially naturally, partially intentionally. And then, but at the same time, I often remember this. I was playing semi-professional basketball all the way up until like under 18. And I remember I would speak differently with my team because it was other black kids from various parts of London. And we'd speak a different way. But at school, I would speak a certain way. At home, I'd speak like what felt like a mixture of the two. Hmm. Um And then... When I got to university, only black person on my course, a quick shout out to black geographers. um, There were not many black. I was the only black geographer on that course. Um, And I was at King's College London. So quite often people from my background, people who came from Thornton Heath, they didn't go to this uni or this, you know, Russell Group Universities. So there was that again. On my PGCE course, I was the only black male on that course. Um, so time and time again, I'm finding myself switching how I speak to be understood. And it happened again when I entered the classroom. And especially working internationally, um, I found that I began slowing down how I speak, being very intentional with my pronunciation. Um, I began getting rid of certain London parts of my accent, which people found hard to understand. Uh, Students at my school, they, they, uh, it doesn't happen that frequently, but they love to, whenever they refer to Harry Potter, they'll always say, um, sir, say cup of tea, say, say a (laughs) bottle of water. And I'll always say it, and they'll be like, "You don't sound British." And I was like, "Oh, you want me to say a bottle of water?" Um, <laughs> yes. And it, it just doesn't it doesn't fit for them. And
1: yeah.
0: often the the children and I found this in many countries around the world where I've 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 holidayed or I've I've worked, and people won't know where I'm from. Uh, often the initial assumption is that I'm American. And actually that's one of the more common ones, but then people can never place whether well they're like, well, it's not a New York accent, it's not an LA accent, but you don't sound British and da, 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 da. And I was like, then where the heck am I from? <laughs> and explaining to people slash predominantly my students is that I've slowly, partially passively, partially subconsciously, but quite a large part consciously, I've constructed this way of speaking to be understood by as many people as possible. I've slowly recognized through my life that when I speak like this, people react differently. People tend to listen to me, uh, whether it's students, whether it's professional settings, whatever it is, I tend to find that this is has become a useful universal code for me, which I can use in almost any setting and it gets me through and it gets me through positively. It's also a, a, a voice which I've learned through my experiences, that on the phone, I'm very neutral. Um, I think generally people will default to white as my, if, they, you know, not that that's an ethnicity, but they will default to white. They're, or how should I say? I will say they will never identify me as black. And that's not something I'm proud of. That is that is a reflection yeah. of issues in of itself. But this voice, it's just it's just a voice that people go, okay, he sounds kind of educated. He sounds, you know, it's like... And that's been very useful to me. But if you were to listen to me talking when it's just me and my wife. So after this, you know, me and my wife will chat and she'll go, how did it go? My voice is going to change slightly when I'm recording messages to friends on my phone or I'm chatting to friends. I will speak slightly faster. I might use slang specific to the childhood or the the experiences I've had with that friend. If you hear me with my parents, I speak slightly differently with my my wife's parents. Uh, My wife's parents, they they have a very rich history, which. Um, I'll leave private to my wife it's not my necessarily my business to share but they they have a a wonderfully rich rich history and many experiences that I mean my my wife's father like he could uh, he should write a book uh, some Mm -hmm. of the things he's experienced in his life Um, and when I speak to them I speak differently and it's just something I, I naturally do and I I feel at this point I've lost all semblance of what I consider to be my voice but i i say that not as a point of oh you know i don't know what my voice is you know some crisis of identity this is my voice Mm. my voice is my my voice is my decision to allow people to understand me my voice is my my vehicle to connect with people so my voice is whatever i need it to be in order to make the richest connection i can with someone and to ensure they can understand me so my voice has become dynamic and I don't consider any individual voice to be my voice. They are all my voice, but perhaps I'm getting too far. And it's well, and it's a, <laughs>
1: and, and what's what's it's if it becomes a tool for you that you're you're empowered to use rather mm-hmm. than forced to, you know, yes. to adapt or to or to put on because and this is this is the struggle I'm having with my voice. You know, this the first thing that people you know rigging up. I'm having my windows because i've got a couple of single glazed windows I need to sort out and the first thing it says oh hi, hello sir how can we help you and just like oh you know so it's yeah. um it's quite difficult and uh, and that's that's why i put my 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 pronouns in the in the introduction mm-hmm. of the podcast because Definitely. i need people to know so yeah but it's it's um and as someone with a little bit of drama training um Mm -hmm. because that was my second subject after geography i have the capability of using my voice as a tool as in a way that i need to you know anything from having that really kind of booming kind of way to Mm. come you know to have that i need quiet now kind of thing to rise above everything Mm. else or i can i can actually bring it down quite a fair bit i can bring it softly if i need to and it's Mm. and it's um it's yeah it's it's something which uh yeah, I don't know. I keep going backwards and forwards, Daryl. I have a love hate relationship with my voice. I've got friends who say, Kid, don't change your voice. I really, really like it. And then, and then other people are saying, Kid, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, you do what you need to do. So I don't know. I'm still the. the, uh, it's, the uh, it's it's incredibly the rich. It's, one of my,
0: it's one of my modules on my, on my the MA I did recently. And um, it was in uh, development, education, and global learning. But there was a whole sequence about identity. Um, and it was one of my favorite modules. And you know, just just the existence of that module within a course about education, I think, speaks to the I was very happy to take that course. Um, and uh, there, there's a number of academics. There's no point quoting them, I don't think. But if <laughs> anyone's interested, hit me up. Um, but there's a number of academics who have written about the idea that your identity is. And I'm sure you're familiar with these concepts you have your concept of self and you have whoever you're interacting with, their concept of however they label you. So maybe some people will see you, the first thing they'll see is your skin color. Maybe some people, the first thing they'll see is how you're dressed. The first thing they'll see is whatever it may be, but however they label you, your actual identity is the meeting point of the identity that you believe you have and that you are expressing outwards and people's engagement with that identity and how you are representing it. And then you end up with this awkward middle point. And this awkward middle point is where almost all human beings exist. And this is where our point of confrontation comes. It was like, if I'm not happy with how that other person is interpreting me, the truth lies in the fact that I have no direct power over that. The only power I have over that is changing how I represent myself. Mm. And that at times, as I'm sure for someone who is so experienced and developed in how they have reflected upon and identified themselves and gone through so many challenges to to reach that, and I can completely empathize with that. You know, my toiling with being identified, not identifying, being identified as Black. It's, it's, it's you know, and it's like, so... At what point do I stop being true to myself if I am changing my identity to ensure that people's interpretation of it is what I want it to right. be? so where do I exist in this three-way exchange um and that is a it's a it's a fascinating thing to get into um and i've I've realized the more confidence you can have in that middle point and recognizing that that middle point has no direct interaction with your identity can be helpful for me, at least in my experiences and uh, my time, you know, working with therapy, working with um, different self growth and and really actively working on myself and my experience of the world. That's what has supported me. And I know it's not a fix all and I'm not claiming like, why doesn't everyone think like this? No, <laughs> you do what you need yep. to do. But for me personally, viewing it in that, that, that way with three points of contact, me, them, and that, Awkward point in the middle that we typically occupy. How can I navigate this if I have no control over that other person? Where will I be happy with? And how can I forgive their misinterpretations of me? And how much do I blame them for it? You know, it's yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's a it's a a lovely thing. And you know, let's bring it back to teaching. That's where we are with our students. Um, We we need to learn to to do our best. You know, we, we are never without bias. We are never without preconception, but to see our students as clearly as we can, rather than seeing them as this is how I interpret you. You are younger than me. Therefore, you earn these grades. Therefore, you did. Th- we need to learn to see our students as you are also a person. Yes. And if I can rip most of these labels aside, still acknowledging and respecting perhaps the labels that you personally choose to operate under or how you present yourself, we can have a much better conversation. Yeah. But if I just see you as the labels I have also put on you, um, there's a lot of layers before I'm actually interacting with you.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, we can't, we can't work like that and expect to empower people. Yeah. There's two things that come to my mind. The first one is, um, um, is whenever, whenever trainee teachers I mentor or I, or I coach and they say, if you can give us one bit of advice, what can you give if I said, like, be a human being and teach your students like human beings. It's like you mm. have no idea how far that goes. Be fallible, make mistakes, say sorry when, when the apology is merited, you know, uh, backtrack, mm. learn from them. And, you know, you know, and then they'll respect you so much more because they'll see another human being trying to do their best and they can feel mm-hmm. comfortable that they are human beings trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I tell them. And then the second thing is, is that I hope everybody listens to this conversation. It feels, you know, D- Daryl and I have got, you know, very different life experiences. I've I've certainly got privileges that that Daryl, you know, probably may not have of growing up and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, um, us kind of having this conversation we we are relating quite a fair bit (laughs) and it just goes to show how a lot of issues are intersectional and and if we all sat down and had a chat and and we and we talked to each other and we had a conversation and we were just honest with each other we will find common ground and things we can identify with and then that will help us to move forward with things that we are we are incompatible with you know uh-huh. because we can find common ground and build from that and and i think and I've, I've this is just so i mean we're almost an hour into the usually we we cap it this about 45 40 minutes but this has been so enriching and so it's well enjoyable. i was going to say enjoyable. it's it, it's been fulfilling the discussion uh-huh. that i've had i mean there
0: there is one more i've been recalling the the topics we were having in the preamble i call it the preamble it. it's called um, the preamble um that i would like to revisit now, yeah, know, looking at where this conversation has gone, um oh gosh, it's now now blanked from my mind, oh no <laughs> um, so i i I think so we've been speaking about the importance of of treating people as humans, engaging with people as honestly as as possible, being humble, uh removing the ego from what we do, able to engage more honestly, and making sure that we can support each other and and having these conversations to find the commonalities you know the the how many things have we found in common although our our journeys are unique and distinctly different there are still things we can find to share and empathize with each other and that's kind of where i want to go back to um i think that not only is the conversation important and whether it's conversation with your class, as a class, whether it's with individual students, whether it's with your colleagues, your leaders, your whatever it may be. I also feel that we simply need to share our stories more. Um, And yeah, this is something which is quite a a burning point for myself at the moment, um, which I'm doing some writing about uh, to try and eloquently, hopefully, and purposefully talk about. But when we look at social media, when we look at conversations we have with friends. And this could be with anyone, but I'm going to focus on the concept of what I would define as the black community. Now, when I use the term black, I'm not referring to a race or an ethnicity, not that it ever has been applied in that way. But I'm speaking Mm -hmm. about people who, through their appearance, it may be skin color, it may be um, religion, it may be gender, it may be anything visual, something that they cannot immediately or easily change as such they face oppression they face some additional challenges barriers people i know who face these myriad of challenges talking about intersectionality many people who are experiencing many different versions of very many different incidences of this we need to speak about it more it doesn't mean that everything we talk about needs to be struggle. I don't need every time someone says, oh, I had a, I had a lovely, uh, I went to the bakery and I got a lovely jam donut today. It was delicious, but mm. and then going into this, this may have been racism. This may have been a microaggression. This may have been this. We don't need to do that. We don't need to go, oh, the, the, the donut was delicious, but did you know the sugar probably came? No, I'm not saying everything in life has to be a struggle, but I think we have to be honest to ourselves and to the people, or should I even say to the story that we tell, to acknowledge the challenges we face, because I feel that there are there is an upcoming generation of disenfranchised, and yes, I'm going to use a word that powerful, disenfranchised young people, who through our failings as some of the first generations of different labels of people to become middle leadership, to become senior leadership, to become teachers of various topics to become leaders of various fields to have their own podcast to have their own book to do all these things as some of the 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 first generation to do that so broadly from historically oppressed communities we now are making it look easy we now represent ourselves in social media in our stories speaking a lot about our success we might briefly talk about the challenge. Oh, I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Oh, don't mm. give me that redacted nonsense. Tell me about the fact that you are still, if we if taking the black, using the, the um, dichotomy of black and white, we are still living in white spaces. If you're in Western Europe and you are someone like myself, you are a, someone who would be labeled a minority yeah. within your field. For whatever reason, you may be labeled a minority. You are in a white space. You face untold challenges on a daily basis of varying um, gravity. But the fact is they're there. And I have dealt with too many young teachers, students I've taught who are now graduating as doctors, are graduating as X, Y, Z, and catching up with them and them telling me, I didn't expect all this racism. I didn't expect all this sexism. I didn't expect this. This happened. I can't believe this still happens we are doing them a disservice. We have made such ground. Our families work so hard. Our parents, our communities work so hard. And we worked so hard and we got here. But if we've entered a white space, we don't yet have the power to repaint the walls of this white space. But we can at least paint a little warning symbol on there for the next person to enter the room. Because we currently still have people who are entering this room, the generations below us who are entering this room thinking, we made it. This room's fine. There's nothing to worry about. And then they trip over the first incident. Then they feel vulnerable the first time they see themselves being pulled in for a minor infraction that all of their colleagues get away with. We we have them working at places where they are the only X, Y, Z in their workplace. And they only slowly, as bad things happen, they don't always happen. And I pray that they don't happen. As a non-religious person, I pray that they don't happen. But when these people experience it, they think, why didn't I know? So when we are representing ourselves on LinkedIn, we are writing stories, we are writing experiences, we need to include the truth of what we experience on a day-by-day basis. We need to call out the unfairness that takes place doesn't mean everything we post has to be a substory. story. doesn't mean we always have to focus on the negatives. Yeah. There is too much beauty and wonderful things happening in all of our communities for us to focus on the negative. But we must acknowledge that it's there. If we don't acknowledge that it's there, how can our children know? How can our next generation know? And how can they be prepared to reach even further than we did? And I, I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about this. This is why I started writing. Um, if anyone has, who's listening has read anything I've written, I'm absolutely honored. I'm happy if five people read it. The reason I want more people to write isn't to become a bestseller or to make money or to be that, that absolutely ridiculous concept of have a side hustle. No, it's yeah. because our stories are our legacy And right now, I feel like in 20 years' time, if they scoured through the internet to get a feel for what was life like at this point in time, they're gonna think it was pretty good. They're gonna see Black Lives Matter and be like, oh, there were some protests. Yeah, there was some trouble with the police. They're gonna miss out on the intricacies of the challenges that we face on a daily basis. And we have to represent ourselves more honestly. We have to. We absolutely have to. Imagine if letters from Birmingham jail by martin luther king didn't have that nuance to it imagine if all the things we read about the um, accounts kept by by slaves by the the revolutionaries in haiti if they had not included the little nuances and they'd just been like hey we're the leaders now this is great yeah don't worry about anything no 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 we have to mention the continuing challenge. We have to honour the people in Mali, I believe, who are still protesting against France, who, who has all of the gold mined from Mali. France doesn't have a single gold mine in the country, yet Mali doesn't have a single bar of gold in their banks. We need to be acknowledging the things which are still happening, and which are happening to us on a very personal level so that we can empower the people below us to come into the spaces we already occupy and they can bolster it they can go further they can do better they can ah i'm so excited for the future but we we've got to support the people who are coming after us we have to
1: and I would strongly, strongly, strongly urge, I mean, there's, there's a couple of the couple of things that you've written very, very recently, written very recently, uh, one for the decolonizing geography uh, group that we're both a part of. And the other one, um, which I, um, the other one that I read, which you wrote about um, your teaching experience of having a, a blackhead teacher. And I would just, mm. I would strongly, strongly recommend everybody that you read at least those two articles from Daryl. i'll put the link in the in the description for both of those and um and i i completely get you because i try and do the same like mm-hmm. i I do try and earn a little bit of money you know from a side hustle stuff like that but the vast majority of stuff that i do is mm-hmm. because i just want to get it out there like um and yes. as i mentioned to you before you know i wrote that article about um how it felt to be um going on geography field trips as a ch- mm-hmm. as a transgender child so um so those kind of stories need to be told and, and now fortunately you know that those conversations are being had within the teaching sphere at, at, at the um two episodes ago I did um a little special episode about being at the GTE conference and mm. and one of the talks at the GTE conference they actually referenced my blog to say you know these are the conversations that we've got to have we've got a oh, you know young, we've got young people with lots of different um ways of being you know are we making trips accessible for them you know and this, uh-huh. this is this is what i hope is that yes, they spark yes, me more introspection and more um conversation yeah if you have a story if you're listening a story, to this if you get have a story out. just write it like just
0: write it it's, it's always lovely to be compensated for your time and there's many publications whether it's the tes or whether it's Wherever it may be, there's, there's many places which will, they'll slide you, you know, 50 quid or whatever for your, for your time. And it's, that's lovely to receive. I'm I'm not going to turn that down, but at the same time, yeah, having, you know, you never know who's going to reference or read what you've written. And the more people who write it, the more easy it is for people to find, maybe not your specific story but yeah. at least a story yeah. um, stories are so powerful um, and that's why we need more voices in the classroom. Cause there's, there's in most British classrooms nowadays, there's 32 stories in there. Yeah. Um, so why, yes. why do we only listen to one? Exactly.
1: <laughs> okay. I'm going to, we're going to go on to one last thing before the, before we, um, we end, right? Because mm-hmm. I, we, we cannot, we cannot not talk about this cause I like the way you put this. I'd like you to just explain this a little bit more is that um, the other thing that you said on your uh, on the Google form was um, about your diabetes, and it's mm. you said your diabetes is a fantastic contribution to who you are today. An ongoing challenge, but not a direct part of my ex- not a direct part of my expression of geography. More intrinsic to the expression of the person identify as me. So, so uh, mm. so for for the diabetics out there, <laughs> do well. do do um.
0: um do tell it's interesting. Uh, something that I see is very positive um although it might might not sound like that initially to people listening but most people who would meet me wouldn't know I'm diabetic now I've always um I've, I've been diabetic since oh I think it was like my 12th birthday it might be my 10th birthday but it's, it's it's 20 years now um that I've been diabetic at least 20 years um is I've always seen it as a marker of my control of my diabetes. But I also recognize that despite how well I believe I've controlled it and I've managed to so far avoid any major medical issues from it, though, to be honest, it, it, it has a negative impact on the longevity of your life, um, mm. especially if it's poorly managed. And that's something which is a relative burden if I allow it to be, which I tend not to. But my diabetes has in various ways, shapes and forms, prevented me from doing things. Now, it's not something that I think the diabetic community likes to speak about a lot. Uh, We often talk about empowerment. We like to look at diabetic Olympians. We like to look at they made it even though and all these kinds of stories. And I think those are important and they're empowering. But going back to the idea of we do also need to talk about the challenges. My diabetes means that Every time I plan a holiday, almost, you could almost say every time I leave the house, I have additional checks. Are my levels suitable that I can go out? Do I have my insulin with me? Do I have a spare insulin in case someone bumps right. into me and breaks my pen in my pocket? You know, do I have dextrose tablets in case I have a hypo? Am I in a healthy enough position to teach my next lesson? When I teach three lessons in a row, I'm not just thinking to myself about my stamina and my lesson planning. I'm thinking, I don't want to pass out in front of 30 <laughs> kids at, at, at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um Oh. And it it has given me a very necessary, um, I would argue, not by choice, um, although there is always a choice, but the choice is fairly a bleak one with regards to health. Um I've been forced to become more aware and more organized to a to a degree, and also more accepting I'm gonna use this word. I think I think this is the correct word to use. I'm more accepting of failure. Now, I don't view failure negatively. I Understand the concept of failure. And by definition, you could say failure is negative. But the context of failure is often what decides whether it is something negative or not. So recognizing within myself that I have physical limitations, I have things which I have to be additionally aware of, additionally in control of. And therefore, if I make a decision, "Mm, I don't think I can do that right now. I'm going to take half an hour to have something to eat. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. That's not a failure. And recognizing that not everyone in the world has diabetes, but almost everyone in the world has something which might make them have to make that decision. Mm. So therefore, seeing a student struggle with something or make a decision not to do something always thinking to yourself, there might be something else going on. And I think it has formed an empathy within me. And I think part of it going back was the idea that many of my friends don't know I'm diabetic. And I always wonder when I tell them, because sometimes I have to, you know, not at all that it's hidden. I want to make that very clear. I do not hide my diabetes. But at the same time, I don't run into every new friendship I make and go, hey. Hey. (laughs) Um, So um, I, I often think to myself, does that change in any way, shape or form how they view me? Because if you watch me as a person and you think, oh, he's doing really well, he's he's doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then I let you know the additional challenges I'm actually calculating on top of everything else that I'm doing. Do you respect me more? Do you respect me less? Do you now worry about me? Do I become a liability? It's a really mm-hmm. interesting headspace, which really made me consider, firstly, how do I judge other people when I might not be aware that they're kicking ass and they're carrying an extra weighted backpack that I'm not aware of? Does it make me, um, with with my diabetes, does it change how I judge myself? And it definitely has. Um, it definitely has changed over my life how critical I can be. I mean, combined with the, what I would strongly associate with the Afro-Caribbean community, especially in the UK, and I would argue the US, the mentality of as a black man, especially when I was going to a grammar school, you have to do well because as happened at my school, I'm not going to go into it again, but my school at various points tried to kick me out, not because I was poorly achieving, not because I was poorly behaved, not that either of those would be justification unless I was literally fighting kids every day for no just reason. They were trying to kick me out. There's there's, there's paper evidence of this. So with all of these things going on, with with the the, the diabetes, i be, I become aware of these challenges, I think about how I judge myself. I think about the challenges I face. I think about the challenges other people may be facing, and it really kind of shifts my perspective on things. Um, and it has given me a different kind of love for myself. It's given me a different kind of honor for myself and for other people. In and I, I, I think it's. I think it's. I would definitely say, if given the opportunity. Um, a magic wand a, a genie in a bottle one of the first things i would wish for is health mm. i i would it would I, you know you know we all have that little fantasy if you really had you know the ability to have a wish or three wishes whatever <laughs> the, the the story is one of them would definitely be health not to live forever not to do whatever but just to have full every injury of my body healed you know every ill the diabetes every every you know the click in my back you know i'd i'd get every single ill healed i won't deny that for a second i'm not sitting here going i'm glad i was diabetic but i will never deny the personal growth which has come from it and i will never deny that actually my diabetes is a massive part of my personality it's a massive uh constructing foundation to how i've had to approach life and a- approach challenge um So I think diabetes is incredibly challenging, but again, you do not have to have challenge in order to grow. I want to be so clear with that. We do not have to have challenge to grow. We don't have to go through a tragedy in order to come out the other side a better person. We can grow, and that's what we try and do in our classrooms. I hope there's no teachers listening who, well, every lesson I, I beat my students so they understand how good they've got it, and that makes them, no. We can grow without tragedy. Yeah. But- a positive way of engaging with tragedy is using it as a damn good fertilizer to grow. Like that, and that's what my diabetes is to me.
1: I like that. Like, if it, it, it doesn't have to be. And I, I, I've, I can't, I can't, um, I don't want to be putting it down as explicit on this for this saying this one word, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> You know, uh-huh. and be it could be nice fertilizer and compost instead. I, I <laughs> yes. Let's let's frame it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Um, okay, let's finish off now. Now, Daryl. So we'll we'll uh, we're going to link you now to the uh, the previous guest. So uh, last week we had uh, um, Phil Humphreys, mm-hmm. another um, geography teacher, on. Um, to um and came up uh, with a word that you have to or well, try and link to geography and it's it's actually a geographical term so you're not going to have any problem but well, maybe, maybe well maybe maybe you might want to take a more i don't know more poetic or nuanced kind of approach to this so so um phil has given you um the word ismuth so that's just uh see i was going to
0: say as you're introducing it is yeah. i might want to get i might want to get google ready yeah. just so i can i can look up the word and uh <laughs> make sure that i'm gonna not completely embarrass myself and so, <laughs> interpret it wrong um and i i i'm not gonna lie i am a hundred percent doing that yeah um, okay and i had to, i had because... to
1: double check as well i kind of sort of thought <laughs> i uh, when when phil said it i was like ismuth yeah it's like that rings a bell it rings a bell and i was like, it's something <laughs> to do with land but i couldn't quite remember and i did have to that afterwards so everybody i'm being honest yeah okay so, so there so we go the definition um, of ismuth is daryl yes um it's, okay so the word i would have recognized
0: immediately would have been um tombolo
1: yes um yeah.
0: from my time teaching coasts um but yes it is uh, as i have googled or wikipedia <laughs> um a narrow piece of land connecting two large areas across an expanse of water by which they are otherwise separated
1: there you go so if okay, you been spending so yeah. this whole week in between episodes going <laughs> Ismuth? Ismuth? <What's> an Ismuth? <laughs> then um then you're not alone you've got two geography teachers here who aren't quite sure either just go show geography <laughs> teachers don't know everything um not right then wrong. so Okay, so we can we can be a bit poetic about this, you know. So you could talk about the connection between two, lot like, or whatever. It's up to you. Whatever yeah. you want to do for thirty seconds, it's entirely up to you. Just tell me when you're ready. So,
0: sorry, this is thirty seconds 30 talking seconds. about
1: Isthmus. Uh, talking the, about Isthmus. Okay, Isthmus. So when you're so, ready.
0: I'll go now. Uh, the <laughs> word Isthmus, connecting two otherwise separated bodies, is an interesting term. If I go all poetical with it, go. in that. What we have to remember is that the two places are already connected and what we have to do is learn to see that the body of water in of itself is a connection where we can swim across we can sail across but for some reason in the modern day we only consider the two bodies of land truly connected if there is another piece of land between them and always considering that ideas need to be um, connected by something which is the same is something false which we need to break in our education system you can have two ideas and two very different people connected by something completely different like a body of water yes and they are still brought together yeah i'm gonna leave it there i don't care that that went further than 30 (laughs) seconds it was
1: well deserved That cup was overflowing, and it was beautiful. Just, just, just the way it was, just lapping over the. T- I love it. Thanks. No, that's brilliant, Daryl. And um, yeah, so now it's your turn to come up with a, a word oh. for the next guest. So um okay what um, what do you think you go for it could be anything you like it could be um it could be something we've talked about it could be any uh, completely random does it have to be specifically geographical no no no. in fact that was probably the most geographical Um, term for this podcast we've had i think maybe (laughs) okay interesting um um, can i tell you three words which i've got playing around in my mind at the moment all
0: right yeah um the first one is dope yeah, um, and I'm I'm uh, should I should I give a definition or should I avoid that for now? You can or, or, or can I tell you where the word is from? You can tell us where it's from then. Yeah. Um so I'm thinking of the word dope and I'm thinking of it as a word which was produced by the culture of breakdancing. And that's where I'm thinking of now. I don't know how someone may interpret that, or what they may think it means within the world of breakdancing. dancing. Um, but yes, that's. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with that. Just go with yeah, it's 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 it's, uh, it's it's out of there. It's um.
1: Well, it's all about what the next guest interprets it as. So because so they could terp- interpret interpret it as a as a term, or they could interpret it as as um, any thick liquid preparation or paste used <laughs> to prepare surface it's, yeah. it's you know whatever it's going to be however they take it so um but anyway hopefully brilliant. they'll
0: go for like a, a language slang yeah i think there's a few different cultures who've used that word maybe we'll back in the 80s
1: <laughs> we'll see so Darrell have you got anyone you would like to i mean you gave a couple of shout outs already to you know person mm. um who who advised you with your dissertation and you've you've mm-hmm. mentioned your your lovely wife a few times but um mm-hmm. anybody else you'd like to say hi to um, so I think I would be doing a disservice if I didn't give another
0: shout out to, um, decolonized geography, a yeah. wonderful group of individuals, which we're both a part of, um, which has led to a lot of learning, uh, for myself. This, yes. And I think anyone who visits the website will find a lot of things on there, which they will find very useful, including teaching resources, just to really, really <laughs> plug it there. Um, what else, who else would I give a shout out to? Um, hmm i'd give a shout out to my wife because i can um and i would give a shout out to you kit thank you so much for the invitation to this um i was ecstatic to receive such an invitation and it's um this is definitely a a milestone for me Um, (laughs) I, i don't know what what that means to anyone listening but um it's a beautiful thing to be invited to anything And I I, I can put that on any level of social interaction, but um, thank you. And it's been a wonderful conversation. Um, (laughs) And I'd like to give a shout out to my students, all my students, all the students across the last 11 years of teaching. Um, Wonderful people who have really, really contributed to a lot of happiness in my life and a lot of growth in my life. Um, I, I, I don't know who to shout out. Um, I think, I, I think I'll, I'll leave it there. I feel like I've probably missed out someone super important. Oh, who's it always grinding happens. Their teeth. It um, always happens. But if you have been important in my life, I'm, I'm, I would hope that I give you, I give you enough love anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's anyone who needs a shout out um, other nice. than that. There's a lot of good teaching going on. There's a lot of great things going on. Um, so, yeah, keep striving. I'll give a shout out to myself. Um, I've been doing some writing. I'd love it if people read it, gave me some feedback, maybe, uh, only recommend, maybe just read it, maybe be inspired to write your own. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've, that, that uh, give a little shout out to me let's honor ourselves a little bit sometimes yeah and, um, and
1: <laughs> yes. so people can connect with you on twitter so your twitter handle is d sinclair 17 I believe so yep
0: it's a bit of a rubbishy one there were no. 17 people be- 16 people before me um <laughs> <laughs> yeah d sinclair 17 um you can see me on decolonizing
1: geography the yep.
0: website um and there's a few little bits and bobs if you search for d sinclair hopefully a few things come up
1: well, yeah, Darryl, you, you you paid me a lovely compliment, but I have to say, you know, having, you know, spoken to you on and off and, and read your stuff and listened and hearing your thoughts about certain things, I've I've always been an admirer of yours and to finally get uh, to speak to you and mm. just reinforce the fact that I think you're, you're a wonderful, beautiful human being. And just thank you so much for just your presence, everything, and just for enriching us all. It's just been absolutely lovely. So thank you so much, Daryl
0: and thank you very much kit um yeah same thing as i was going to mention it if you didn't yeah uh, what we've done more work together than we give each other credit for um, and a lot of good discussions so yeah thank you very very much
1: thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffee and Jog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.